We would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where, well, let's just face it. Uh, you know, yesterday was it was history. Tomorrow is a mystery, and today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. Yes, that's right. Uh, it's just Krebs and I talking with uh, Derek William Dalton. If you don't know who he is, well, you should, because he has an awesome book coming out called Space Boots. You know, it's not like space pants, but it's just as awesome. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll get a song called Space Boots. You know, that would be awesome. But, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about the book. Uh, he also is the designer of the Lone Wilderlands uh, RPG. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about everything in between, um, like we always do. So uh, we'll, we'll start with the first thing. What is Space Boots? Because, well, let's face it, they want to know. Space Boots is the adventures of Leo Jones and Hafnia Zimmerman. Leo wants to be a surgeon more than anything. Misplaced terrorist bomb destroys his fast-track career plan, and he finds himself as a janitor on a Navy starship so he can pay for school. Hafnia has willpower that's a superpower, and she wants to be an admiral to be in charge. And her first Navy battle after graduating from the Naval Academy turns out is against not some evil tyrannical leader, but Leo's captain, who's a traitor. So in the big mess, Leo ends up inadvertently causing more problems for her than the bomb did for his career plans. And in trying to put back together a limping starship and get home, they find out that the traitors are not all gone and they are not waiting for another attempt to take back over the ship. Hmm. Go ahead. On a scale of Red Dwarf to Ender's Game. <laughs> I love this scale already. <laughs> where does your book, Space Boots, land? It would be Ender's Game written by Douglas Adams. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> This is fantastic. I'm in. Man, I like that description even better. <laughs> There's no dolphins, though. That That's okay. That should be your yeah. elevator pitch right there. Yeah. Ender's Game, written by Douglas Adams. Done. Absolutely. Mic drop. <laughs> that's perfect. Especially if you can have some forward about being drunk in proximity of an all-deaf convention. That would be just excellent. Excellent writing. <laughs> Uh, so, so then you would say, I mean, if, um, if we were, if your novel were to be turned into a movie, would it fall into sort of like the same category as something like galaxy quest, or is it going to be a little bit more firefly or are we leaning? Is it more like, like what, what's the ratio of seriousness to tongue in cheek? When I walked out of the theater after seeing Avengers, this, the amount of intimidation that I felt as an author almost ruined the movie for me because it was such a perfect mix of everything. So a more objective person could tell you whether or not I, I nailed that, but somewhere between 
more towards Avengers than Galaxy Quest, but those would be a couple places on the continuum. I like that. I like that a ton. Uh, and when you say Avengers, you're referring to the first Avengers film as opposed to uh, Infinity Wars and Endgame, right? Correct. The 2012. Yeah. Perfect. And that one was uh, the screenplay was largely penned by Joss Whedon, who mm-hmm. is brilliant at combining gravitas with humor. Yes, he is. And that, which was why Firefly was so amazing. Yes, no, it I was. Agree. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Can't talk uh, about Firefly. You know. Just joking. <laughs> That's okay. Just be a leaf on the wind, man. Yeah. So, ooh. Oh. 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 I I am awash with sorrow now. I know. Man, we're just falling them out. We, we're channeling our inner Alton right now. We have to. We have to. Speaking of which, for those of you who don't know, uh, our our dear brother Alton uh, could not be here tonight. He is feeling a bit under the weather. Not COVID under the weather, just a different kind of under the weather. So uh, best wishes to him, and we miss him dearly. Uh, but while he is, uh, his absence uh, pierces me through the heart. So anyway, uh, so your book, your book, Space Boots, is it the first in a series? Is it uh, is it part of an existing mythos that you've created? Can you tell us a little bit more about it? First in a series. I also wrote it as a, a standalone, but I like it so much that I can't leave it alone. The universe in which it is set is about 70 years after, no, 70 years before the novels that I have self-published. So there will probably be some uh, cameo appearances of characters from either series popping up here and again. I love stuff like that. And for the con- for context, um, what are your self-published titles? Uh, Houses of Common is the first. A Meaner Sort is the sequel. Those are based around a alien who's a terraformer for the United States Department of Agriculture. He gets planet started with the oxygenation of the atmosphere. And then he stumbles across a bunch of deeply disturbing stuff he's got to fix nice fantastic no i i like those um i you know i i I feel bad because i was not aware of those books in advance of this and now i have to go read those i need to go find those because those sound awesome um and i like the fact that you are still kind of intermingling some guest appearances from those characters which is fantastic and kind of gives even more reason why you need to go read those books because when these people show up it's like who are these people i need to know yes you need to know yeah i I love throwbacks i love it and this isn't even really a throwback it's 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 more like a throw forward yeah yeah so why where did the idea of this vast universe this story come from i mean everyone has their their story of where the story came what moment it was in time when suddenly it just blossomed in their mind. So where did the story come from and where was the moment in time along your life's timeline that suddenly this went, boom, this must be written by you. As a little kid sitting in the front seat of my mom's Ford Pinto at a drive-in movie theater, watching star Wars. 
That's where it all. Oh, there it is. Yep. There it is. He just won the game. That's yep. it. It's That's over. It. There was a contest. <laughs> we don't need to do any more. Yeah, show's done. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not a Star Wars fan at all. I'm sure you're <laughs> gazing at my wall behind me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I, Star Wars. I, I honestly, there's a lot of people that uh, I believe that really touched a nerve and opened up our, our eyes and our minds to creating uh, epic fantasy story. Um, so that happening is not surprising, but that does give you more points. So guess what, folks? You have to buy this book now. That is a dungeon crawler request. <laughs> you must buy this book. Okay, so Space Boots... Uh- if, if I'm not mistaken, because we were talking a little bit before the show, uh, has this book been made available yet, or is it coming soon? Coming soon. Pre-orders on Amazon are up and ready to go. And some some people have posted some reviews on Goodreads. And May 19th, May 19th, everybody gets to take a peek. Nice. Awesome. So, um, will you be distributing? Excuse me, distributing this uh, via um, Kindle as well as uh, trade paperback, or what? In, in what forms can we partake of this amazing Firefly esque book? <laughs> That's one of the best best compliments ever. Firefly esque. Probably the second one was that I uh, had a reviewer once compare me with Douglas Adams. And I thought that's that's the end of my day because there's nothing else that's going to happen today that's going to top that. That is right high there. praise. Yeah. You you like turn to that reviewer and you're like thank you. And oh you I'm, I screwed up the joke. Hang on a second. <clears throat> Let me try that. You're like so long and thanks for all the fish. Yes. That's what I should have done. Yes, that's okay. Question <laughs> Next time, yeah. next, next time. Okay, I, I will push the joke on the first swing anyway. So go <laughs> ahead, you run with it. You'll make it better, I'm sure. Yes, you know there there are so many times when you're doing an interview or reading a review, um, and you're just so excited that someone likes your book that all thought process is kind of, you know, it's like eject and dumps it. It dumps all rational thought. And you're just like, oh, wow, someone likes what I wrote. This is amazing. And then they walk away and you're like, oh, why did I say that? Why didn't I say that? That would have been epic to say that in return. So It's kind of like when oh. when the, the cute older girl, when you're a freshman in high school, comes and talks to you in the hall. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not that it ever happened to me. Okay, full disclosure, that never happened to me. But if it would have, <laughs> I would have. I would have blown it. <laughs> yeah, I think we all would have. Uh, so I don't think I answered your question though. In uh, yeah, Kindle, Kindle format is the pre-order that's available, and then paperback and Kindle will be available on May nineteenth, and then audiobooks are in the works. And looks like I'm going to be doing the voices, which is really exciting. Okay, now that begs the question. Are you going to read it straight-laced, or are you going to straight-up do voices? I have to do voices. 
you're a good man. I'm wow. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna do the voices. That's that awesome. is that is fantastic. So uh here's a here's a sample. Mom made French toast that morning. Not the nutritious stuff that she usually made with the boosted yeast from her her lab that they manufactured, but the Snow White soft squishy stuff with absolutely no nutritional value. And she even got out the high fructose corn syrup with the maple flavor, not the agave nectar. And that was the last good thing that happened all day. <laughs> that was Leo is that, Jones. Is, is that, that was the, the last good thing that happened all day. Is that straight up the opening to your book? Is that the first line in your book? Uh, I think that is the yeah, that is the first paragraph. Yes. Wow. We just we just got a free sample, guys. This this book isn't even available for 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 purchase yet. Well, pre order, but uh, we just got a free sample. That's so cool. Thank you, thank you, yeah, Derek. Yeah, I, I like I like the beginning there. It that's awesome. Uh, it, that right, that just the ending there, and that was the last good thing that happened today. Now you're like, man. Now I need to know what else happened. So kudos to you. That is an excellent, amazing hook. Thank you. Yeah. So, oh, man. Okay, so I I have this question that I have determined I must ask every author that comes on the show, and I wish I had thought of this sooner. Uh, this kind of goes back to the hypothetical that your book is turned into a movie. W- who is your dream cast? Who would you cast to play the characters in your book so that we can imagine them in all their awesomeness uh, as we read your book? And they can be anybody, alive or dead. Go. Anybody alive or dead. Oh, that's awesome. I would say um, Leo Jones would probably be um, maybe a, a teenage Don Chadle. Oh, wow. Don Chadle would be good. Good choice. Uh, and for Hafnia Zimmerman, um, I really don't know any recent actors. Um Susanna Hoffs from the Bengals was did oh, a movie and it, yeah. it bombed, but that wasn't wasn't her fault. But she would make a great Hoffnia, even though Hoffnia never sings. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. And I don't know. If Hoffs the... plays the violin because that's that's Hoffnia's thing. She's she's keen, but yeah, I was gonna say anyone that's lived through the '80s doesn't have a crush on her from the Bengals. I'm right. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Joan Weedland from the Go-Go's was in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure as Joan of yeah. Arc. So, yeah. <sighs> all right. I did so, not know that. See, I'm learning all yeah. kinds of important, cool stuff today. Yeah. yeah. My, my number one problem is that my brain is full of really sometimes entertaining facts that have no bearing on real life at all. That's like, why I started they, they a podcast. Not, yeah, that's what that's that's why we have an independent <laughs> podcast. That's right. Yeah. Got to dump these things somewhere. We have a head full of useless knowledge that isn't practical anywhere else. <laughs> oh, and Will not uh, save love. Danny Trejo. Ooh, Danny Trejo for As the uh, pancakes. He's uh, Salvio Innocente. Ooh, okay, right there, right there. The movie is sold. If you can get him in the cast, yeah. sold. Now, uh, now, well, current I would like Danny Trejo. Earth, while my grandchildren still remember what I look like. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so would it be from the from the book. Would it be current Danny Trejo, or would it be like from dusk till dawn Danny Trejo? Current Danny Trejo. That's fantastic. There is only one Danny Trejo. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is the thing, you know, um, with Danny Trejo. I really like the Flash, the TV series, but when they put him in as a reoccurring character that shows up every now and then, it was like, it just like made the Flash more epic. I mean. Not a, he, he's Danny Trejo, and he can jump dimensions. What the heck? And he's an expert knife wielder. Yeah. Of course he is. Yeah, yeah. So he's an interdimensional bounty hunter. It's like, this is perfect. This is the perfect Danny Trejo character. Um, yeah. If you could get a movie with that cast, yeah, I think, I, I think this would be an epic movie. So, so far, you have... Don Cheadle, and I'm imagining like modern day, like current Don Cheadle, although I would accept Ocean's Eleven Don Cheadle. Um, and you have lead singer of the Bengals, and you have uh, Don, uh Denny Trejo. Mm. That's the Did, three, and then Kenny Baker plays all the robots. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, let me call my editor. We gotta get some. Robots in here, last minute. Come on, you, you, you've got to have Martin Freeman somewhere in there, though. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Martin Freeman, he could be... How do you guys feel about Martin Freeman as a bad guy? I think he could, I think pull he, it he could be excellent. Will He's I such do a all of my Star Wars dead points? Will I flush him away if I try to pull that off with you? No, no but no, at the same perfect. time, bad guy, though. Uh, I don't. Benedict Cumberbatch would be a real good bad guy. Jeremy Irons can do anything. Jeremy, Jeremy Irons. Irons. Jeremy Irons. I mean, talk about like typecast at this point. I know. You know. the The moment, the moment he voices Scar, he's just a bad guy forever. Well, <laughs> hey, that's, to that's be it. fair, he was a bad guy before Scar. He was in uh, that one um, Die Hard movie. He he's been a bad guy more often than he's been a good guy. That's true. Yeah. But he's got the voice. Um, yes, yes. And that is his problem. Although, um, like I, Mark Strong. Ooh, Mark Strong, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the actor who plays Moriarty on Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman, I think his name is Aaron Scott. Um, I'd have to I'd have to look up his name again. But so fan, fans of the show, oh, yeah. please don't hang me for that. But but he is such a profound actor, and he can do anything. He can be a sympathetic good guy. Uh, he can be uh, – in 1917, he was an exhausted soldier in World War I, um, and, and just the way he, – he can emote anything. But him as a bad guy, he yeah, Andrew is phenomenal. Scott. Andrew Scott. Oh, yeah. Andrew Scott. Andrew Scott. Thank you yeah. for correcting me. No, it's okay. I, I like him, but I don't feel like he has the gravitas sometimes. Um, he seemed more like a, 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 a very light version of Moriarty compared to like other, uh, villains we've seen, but I, uh, maybe, I don't know. Uh, well, this is fun. I, 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 I liked, I like this whole typecasting. Hmm. Who are we going to play this character? Who's going to play that character? You know, as, as much as I, as I love proclaiming my, um, cinephilia, I guess is the way to say that. Uh, I love being a cinephile. Uh, I recently watched Hobbs and Shaw for the first time, and I, oh. I wholly, I wholly admit, 
Uh, I stayed away from the Fast and Furious movies for as long as I could for years and years. And I didn't watch them until about, I don't know, six years. Well, maybe no, I, I didn't watch them until about seven I own years all of them. Yeah, that's the thing. Like once I watched them, I got it. And I was like, yeah. oh, I see why these are popular. And I totally love them. And Hobbs and Shaw, I watched for the first time recently. Idris Elba is uh, like a fun. He's an amazing actor, period. But yeah. him as a bad guy, oh, I bought it. Like he is, he, he, unlike Sean Connery, who is a consummate hero, right? Like Sean Connery tried being the bad guy, did not work at all. Yeah. Idris Ilba can do freaking anything. He could be a good bad guy. That's true. So I asked you how you would cast your movie, and then you gave us uh, some suggestions, and then we ran away with it, and now we're casting it, and I'm pretty sure Meryl Streep's in it now, and now we're in it for a lot of money, so you better come oh, with. Meryl Streep? No, you got to have a Helen Mirren. Before Miller, oh, Helen, Helen Mirren for life. But yeah. let's get back. Let's get back to Derek. Let's get back to Derek <laughs> and his book. We had just wandered down a tangent. See, this is this is why we have a podcast. We just useless knowledge throwing it out. Yeah. How long did it take for you to pen what will now be the final version of Space Boots? I think it was about a year. I was asked this question recently and it forced me into some full disclosure and to, to think about about the the process again and i had a probably uh, three paragraphs written and then a really really rough outline like maybe two pages is all and the source of it was a dream i had i just slept and whole story and i woke up and i thought wow that was really awesome and so I jotted down the notes and then I was at life, the universe and everything symposium in Provo. And I was on a panel. Uh, I think it had to do with um, some kind of a biomedical thing, or maybe it was um, something about mental health stuff, given my, my day job as a physician assistant. And I said something that may have been when I, uh, they're asking me about my day job and I talked about opening up in big abscesses and it squirts pus and I go, Whoa, I love my job. And this guy thought that was funny. He came up to talk to me afterward. And it turns out he was an acquisitions editor for a publishing company. And he, he asks me, so are you working on any young adult science fiction? And we'd mentioned the eighties before, right? Yeah. And you know what Winston Zedmore says, Ray, yeah. when someone asks you if you were a God, you say yes. So <laughs> they asked me, are you working on young adult sci-fi? And I said, yes. Not entirely honest, but that's, you know, that's how it works. And so he, we talked a little bit. He was interested in some stuff, sent it to me in a couple of days. So he left and I ran to a corner and sat down and started typing again, turned myself back into an honest person. And that sped up the process a lot, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, external accountability will do that. Yeah. You know, I, I like the Ghostbuster reference. That, that was perfect. fantastic. If that someone asks you if you're if you're writing something, say yes. Say yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then go do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh I you know, we had uh Michael Haspel on the show a while a few shows back and you know, he said the same thing. He went to bed, had a dream, came woke up had to write down stuff, you know, um, it, that seems where, and the same thing happened to me. It seems like 
we have these ideas floating around in our head. And when we get close and ready to actually fulfill this dream, you know, we go to we go to sleep and our brain's like, guess what? I'm mashing all these ideas together and you are going to do this now. And then you wake up and you're like, crap, and you got to write down. Um, so I'm finding more and more when I talk to people, that's kind of the trigger that happens. So that's uh, awesome that you had the dream. It's awesome that you had this uh, moment where an editor is like, hey, you're doing this, and you pull out the 80s reference and do it, and then go write. <laughs> um, you Thank know, you, Busters. Yeah. Thank but even more so, the the more amazing thing is, is you finished. I know so many authors or people that are like, I want to write, I have these stories. And they have these big binders of unfinished books. And they're gems, you know, there's like, ah, oh, it didn't work out because of this or that. And they've just kind of stalled out or they've died. But you finished. That's a, that's a huge task. I mean, yes, writing is difficult. Uh, and sometimes you don't like the product that you come up with. But uh, I remember I asked, I can't remember which author it was that I asked. I said, what is the most critical thing that you can, if someone came to you, an inspiring author, and said, hey, what is the most important thing I can do as a writer? And his answer was straight and forward is finish. Finish the book. Once you start, finish. Um, and so I think that's super important. And, and that, that leads to um, an interesting question. So, Derek, Mr. Dalton, how did you how did you go from Ghostbusters? Yes, like default. Yes. To starting your book. And then how did you get to the finish line? What, what advice would you give or what insights can you share about how do you reach the finish line? You mentioned that writing is hard and I agree, but I've also found out that not writing is harder. Mm -hmm. So that's a motivator. This is hard, but stopping writing is going to be worse these thoughts are just going to be spinning around in my head and these characters and this, the thought of an unfinished story isn't, isn't great. One of my motivators I think was that my first novel took me about 10 years to write, which is crazy. But then I think about, and this makes me feel a bit better about myself as a writer. There were three kids in there that happened and graduate school twice. So that's okay. But trying to put all that together and juggle all of those things and then just having that, that goal of this is part of me. I need to finish me. It was learning about what's in my, my brain that I don't know unless I write it down necessarily. Not to make everybody think this is self-therapy for me writing, but like some big journal thing that I'm forcing everybody to read. I think everybody's, a lot of people have been in writing groups where that, that may have been the case where there's a, the self-therapy person in the group. Mm -hmm. So having finished one before was, was really helpful. Having an editor be interested in the book was helpful 
And I also had seen the ending already just before I woke up that morning. That also helped because I knew where it was that I needed to to end up and, and finish. Nice. Yeah, no, uh, it is definitely, it's important. Uh, a book is a piece of yourself. Um, and it's definitely important and critical. Um, I think that's, you know, at least for me, I found that it's, you know, when you put, when you finish and put it out there, it's like, wow, okay, this is a part of me. And I think that's kind of where I have the, the whole memory dump when someone's like, I like this. Cause you're like, really? You like me? <laughs> kind of like type of that moment, uh, you know, kind of hailing back to that, you know, when we were in high school, if some cute girl would have walked up and said, Hey, how are you doing? And you just kind of went, uh, hi. <laughs> um, you know, kind of like what you see in movies. Um, but you know, it's it is a labor of love. It is definitely. I agree. It's it's easier to write once you start, and it's harder not to write after you've started because you get bombarded um, with all these thoughts and ideas. So, um, no, all those, all everything you said, great advice. So, man, I'm just gonna shut up because I feel like I'm rambling. <laughs> I, I am curious. Uh, as have you ever seen the movie? gentleman broncos which i realize does not sound it, it sounds like you need to be 18 or older to see that i get that but no uh <laughs> it is actually by jared hess one of the hess brothers who made napoleon dynamite uh he made a movie after nacho libre called gentleman broncos have you seen this film i have not i've never even heard of it am i missing out on something you good? are everyone everyone wow. is missing out this I, movie I, is I, one I that heard of it either yeah well first of all parts of it actually most of it was filmed in utah and it was filmed between utah and idaho which is sort of their thing right okay. uh but it is in my opinion while napoleon dynamite put them on the map i believe that gentleman broncos is the best of the hess brothers films now this was just jared hess and his wife i believe it's his wife jerusha uh it was not uh his brother but uh this film is about uh, a young boy uh, well, you know, I mean, he's becoming a young man. He's, you know, teenager who is a who has been a lifelong sci-fi no, uh, novelist, and he goes to a writing camp where his author hero, uh, played by Jemaine Clement, is uh, present and giving a talk, and he brought his uh, the boy brought his most recent work and hands it in for a critique. Unbeknownst to him, his hero author has hit a writing block and cannot think of a story, but finds Benji's book and looks at it and plagiarizes it as his own. It is hilarious. It is phenomenal. But as someone who has, me and you, as someone who has written multiple sci-fi books, books in the sci-fi genre, and we should also talk about the fact that you've built an RPG. We need to talk about that. But as someone who has written... Uh, multiple books in this genre, I think that you would find uh, keen comedy as well as maybe some painful truths and tropes as exposed by this film. It is a phenomenal film. Had to make sure you had seen it. You have not, but you will now. Yes, I will. I am hooked. That sounds really good. It is utterly exceptional. I, uh, at more... <laughs> You know, it, it, it's quirky humor. So if you if you like the Napoleon Dynamite, Nacho Libre style of humor, this is their best film. If you're not into that kind of humor, this will not be a pleasant experience. But 
the it is mm, there were multiple times that I was laughing so hard I I almost never laughed to tears and I was like high pitched out of breath tears running down my face and because it, it's just ludicrous but it's also super identifiable I hope you get a chance to watch that Sam Rockwell's in this movie Sam freaking Ro- and what? and he he is he's Bronco. Like, yeah, yeah, he's so so while while Benjamin is reading through this book, he's reading it to this girl that he's interested in. Um, and then there's the plagiarized version. So you have parallel versions that are significantly different, but obviously have crossover. Sam Rockwell plays Bronco, who is the main character in Benji's book and becomes Brutus in <laughs> aptly named becomes Brutus in the stolen version of the book. And Sam Rockwell is utterly exquisite in this film you i will say no more about it than that he is divine and you must you must watch it if only for sam rockwell wow okay so you know awesome i i got two two more people and some audience members to watch gentlemen broncos somewhere somewhere in the world there's someone listening to this podcast and they are saying something to the effect of Someone else has seen this movie because me and the other seven people who know about it are really excited to share it. <laughs> now, let's talk about your RPG. Let, let, let's hit your RPG because we are swiftly running out of time, and I am super stoked about this. It's it, it, Correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but Lone Wilderlands or Wilderlands? Either one works. No, 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 no. You got to stop there. You got to stop there. Uh, I'm a teacher by profession, and I refuse to let my students uh, allow me to call them by a name that is not the way they would say it. So how do you say it when you say it? Here's my caveat, though. So the the second word <laughs> is a subtle reference and homage to the god of fantasy who goes by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien, right? Mm. And so in the audio versions of his books and in the audio versions where you hear him reading the book, he says, Wilderlands. I say Wilderlands because it just feels more full coming out of off of the tongue. The lone Wilderlands, right? Yeah, it has a it has almost a foreboding, but also like an adventurousness about it. Yes. But I am not about to correct Mr. Tolkien on his pronunciation on anything. So uh, that's fair. That's fair. Whatever way you want. So, so give us um, just sort of like the the thirty second pitch. What is this game, and how does it separate itself from the pack? The the genius, if I can use that word, talking about myself and not seem overblown, is that it creates the world, it creates the story, and it creates all the adventures as you play. You don't have to have anything ready in advance. If you want to do a custom character, that's a different thing. You can do that. Take some little bit of preparation beforehand, but not much. But there are pre-made characters. You can just sit down and with your have a blank sheet of paper for a map and you start flipping over one stack of cards and that creates the map. Just like when you wander through Minecraft it generates it as you go. And there's uh, another group of cards, which are adventure areas, another group of cards, which are quests. And so it creates cities and terrain changes and biome changes. And 
there's also a uh, an engine in there that drives NPC creation and relationships between them and the character. So it will there will be enemies and allies created. That is and the other so thing fascinating. Keep going, please, please. As I was creating this, um, I actually sh was showing it to um, someone from Hatching Owl Bears and Natasha Entz from Tales Off the Table. And mm -hmm. she said, this, this is my job. And she was getting really excited about it because she could do this instead of preparing for a game session. And so I really didn't modify it much after that, but taking into the account that this is a game master tool also, where the game master can use it to create setting scenario plot for the group for which they're gaming. So initially it's designed for one person to sit down and have an unhealthy level of introversion and a great time doing their role playing, or it can be for a group altogether with no game master, or it's a tool for a game master to use with a group. This is what fascinates me about your game. It, it, it comes with pre-made characters, which is not particularly new. I mean, we've had pre-made characters for a long time, but it also has, of course, character creation system, so you have your choice. You don't have to have a GM. That's where the game as an RPG, a tabletop RPG to be precise, departs from the tradition. The tradition has always been that the game itself is a framework and it requires human imagination to get off the ground. There is no primer, there is no there is no automated system one could follow. It requires human intervention. This game allows a, a, a single person to sit down and play a game by themselves with a story being told to them by the game and the story changes every time. Every time the story changes. And man, only, if only if only there were some, I don't know, world event that required us to stay away from one another and isolate ourselves and therefore require some need of entertainment. If only, I don't know. I don't know. You're onto something there. I don't know. What, what would something like that have to, you know, what has to happen to make a, a world uh, like catastrophe I, where we're stuck in home? And the last if, time I remember that taking place was the series finale of Golden Girls. People just didn't go outside for a while. <laughs> and if such, such a thing were to occur, it would be a phenomenal thing if things such as Lone Wilderlands were at a suddenly much cheaper rate and available as a print and play since the printer is shut down because state of Wisconsin's governor said, don't go to work. <laughs> that would be amazing too. You know, hypothetically, yeah. if someone were to purchase this obviously imaginary print and play where might they go hypothetically a company called the game crafter it's a print on demand company that does card games board games there are hundreds of them that people like me have designed and put together and sell through their shops very nice i i, I like that so guess what folks uh, yeah, I mean, as, as much as we're joking and teasing and, and having fun, uh, this is the perfect opportunity. I mean, as we've been talking about throughout multiple shows, you know, uh, this is the time to kind of play games with your friends, your family. I mean, this is kind of perfect. You can easily design a game and run this while you're sitting at home over Skype or Zoom or Slack or whatever 
uh, tool that you're using out there. Um, it's well, not that hard. Also, as as seasoned GMs, which we have unabashedly touted on this show, uh, it is it is both the joy and the bane of our existence as storytellers to have to always come up with some new thread. And sometimes we don't come up with a new thread. Sometimes we retread a thread, and that's okay. But uh, to have a system that generates a scenario for you grants you um, a diminishment in overhead. It takes away some of the mental cost. If if you have ever jammed before, you will note that it is mentally fatiguing. You'll play for hours, and when you're done, your brain is tired. But you're mm-hmm. also like on a high because you just told a great story. At least that's the hope. That's that's the hopeful outcome, right? And here's Lone Wilderlands coming along, and it's like, hey, I've got some decks of cards, I've got some scenarios, and I've got some mechanics here. Why don't you just do this for about five minutes and then tell the story? I think this is phenomenal. Uh, Derek, with your permission, can I, I? I'm looking at the the game crafter right now, and I've got the prices pulled up. Are you okay if I if I share that on the air? Uh, yeah, there's, um, as you look at that, there's going to be the, the price for the boxed set, which is currently not available because, uh, they're not, their printing presses are shut down, but the print and play version, which comes as a PDF and then you print it at home, you'll, you can have that in a matter of minutes. Yes. And so the, the box set is 36 bucks, which is not bad. 36 US, it's not that bad. Um, that That is a very affordable thing. Plus there is an expansion, uh, Orion's Horde, for another six bucks. But the print and play version is five ducats. That's it, it's $5. And I, I, you, you would be stupid not to buy this at this point. I am definitely, I want you to know, I want you to know, Mr. Dalton, you are getting five of my dollars and tax. <laughs> five dollars and tax. There it is. No, um, no, it, it is a fun game. It is really easy. Uh, you just pull it out of the box, and within minutes you're playing, and that's fantastic. There are a lot of. Don't get me wrong. There are several other RPGs out there that are very similar, um, but in most cases, like if you want to play D and D for the first time. You got to do a little bit of reading. You got to sit and put, invest some time before, like, or or sit down and play with people that know how to play the game to learn how to play it. This you can easily just grab it, open it up, and go, which is always awesome. That, um, that that's a great point, Mr. Dalton. What's the learning curve like if someone is? Uh, let, let's get two answers for the person who is the uninitiated to tabletop RPGs, and this is their first tabletop RPG versus the veteran what's the learning curve like for uh, veteran rpgs it should be pretty pretty small very short learning curve because you have the the concept of the the role playing the character the adventure for the person just getting into it it's a little bit different than a typical card game it's not like a deck building game it's not quite a board game what I've noticed people find it find helpful is they're thinking thinking of it as a, more like Minecraft, where the it's building the world as they go. That's awesome. That that is excellent, uh, and I'm I'm certain that it appeals to many of our audience members. Uh, Minecraft has been hugely popular because of its you know craftiness, and this is the tabletop version in a way. 
This is a, a tabletop game inspired by that sort of build as you go. I think this is I, I'm super stoked about this. I and I love that it can be played by one person or a group of people. This is excellent. One other thing that I came across almost on accident is uh, I learned about a um, a short competition for uh, an anthology, and I've always been intimidated about writing fantasy. When I read, I'm more of a fantasy guy than a sci-fi guy. I hope I just not lose my Star Wars points right there. I'm still no, Star no, okay. no, the force no. is still with you. Yeah, you're good. Tolkien's so intimidating, though. And so I've never really, really tried. But I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot. And what I f- found happening is that from my playing sessions with Lone Wilderlands, of having these different prompts thrown together in a new way, got me thinking in a new way. And so this submission turned out to be a novelization of some of my gaming sessions because it turned out to be really great writing prompts. I totally get that. I totally get that. Yeah. You know, it's okay if you know, you write sci-fi and love fantasy. I love fantasy. Uh, I don't write epic fantasy. I, I can, but I find it a lot easier for me to write urban fantasy. Um, I have written a couple of short stories that are, you know, fantasy. But you're right. If you're trying to write like Tolkien, man, it's 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 a high bar to hit, uh, especially with the language and the details and the wandering wandering paths of paragraphs and pages. It's like, why are we even here? Um, what does this character have to do with the story? Uh, yeah. Anyways, but as beautifully written as those books are, it's a really high bar to hit. It doesn't matter what. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, looking at stuff like Brandon Sanderson's novels, that's a, still a high bar to hit. And that's something that I've had to learn myself over over the years is you can't compare yourself to others. Just write your story. Write, you know, what is... Derek, uh, what is Daniel? What is uh, Josh? What is Al- Alton? You know, our stories come out it, through us, and we tell that story, and it's the best story that it can be. If we try to compare it to someone else, man, I know for me, for a fact, that when I try to compare it to someone else, I beat myself up. It's like, oh man, it's not as good as that. It's not as good as that, and so that's like probably why. Some... Out of Avengers in 2012. Yeah. yeah. When you walk out of Avengers, like, whoa, I can't write anything like that. That was epic. That's amazing. And the story I'm halfway writing just sucks. Mm -hmm. I'm never writing a superhero story ever. (laughs) I really want to. Um, You know, and and that's it. Uh, You know, sometimes you got to take that leap of faith and just do it. You know, I... Again, as a teacher, when the sun is up, right, um, I, I'm constantly having the conversation with my students that their independent project does not have to be, it doesn't have to be this, you know, new invention that no one has ever seen before. They don't have to be the new Microsoft. They don't have to be the new Bill Gates or anything. They just have to give their best. Could you imagine if Frank Herbert had said, 
oh man, my my story of the prince in the in the sand is just not as compelling as the little people in the Shire, right? Or um, even if Tolkien, if Tolkien had said, you know, because for those who don't know, and I'm sure many of you do know, because this has been brought to light so many times now, but for those of you who may not know, the reason that The Lord of the Rings even came about was because Tolkien, who had fallen in love, I want to say with Finnish, uh, he, yeah. um, he used that as a springboard to create his own language, uh, which he used for Elvish, not long after came Dwarvish. He wrote the alphabet for both, and he wanted a way to express it, to share it. He wanted to use it. So he wrote a story. A lot of people erroneously think that he wrote Lord of the Rings as an allegory of World War One, World War II, actually World War II, uh, because the ring symbolizes the nuclear warhead. He has come out personally in the past and said that is categorically false. Uh, that is not at all why he wrote the book. But he wrote the book just so that he could put his fake made-up language in it and use it. And look what it's done to the world. Now, here we are. Um, you you two are published authors. I've dabbled in writing a time or three, but I've never, ever been published. And I definitely fall in that category of, nah, this isn't good enough to go to press. But you guys have done it. Uh, you, you have published your books. Daniel, you're up for an award. I don't know if we've mentioned that before, but you're up for an award. And... Um, and uh, yes, that I don't mean to I don't mean to steal thunder, so I'm going to leave that rest for right now. But we'll talk about it after the show. But uh, but could you imagine if you had listened to that voice in your head that I am certain Frank Herbert had that I'm certain Tolkien had? I could you imagine if you had surrendered to that voice, how different this would be? I mean, the show the show would suck for one, but. <laughs> I imagine I, the the point is I imagine that every creative has more moments of doubt than they do of belief. But it if they'll just like you were saying earlier, the best advice you got was, you know, if you start the book, finish. Uh, yeah. If you can just cross the finish line, you breathe life into something, and that matters. My wife is a life coach or a leadership coach. And when she went through her, her training process, one of the things she found most helpful from those who, who were teaching her, which as a, the type A personality that I grew up being, and I'm, I'm recovering, I'm, I think I'm doing okay now, but the concept of shooting for B minus work is what she was taught and what that has done for me is doesn't mean i'm i'm doing slightly above average what it means it's recalibrating my brain to here's the how much time i have to do i got to focus and get it done and whatever is done when that time is up is going to have to be good enough mm -hmm. and it turns out most of the time to be better than b minus work but it's that that process of having a filter. I can't go for that perfect. I need to go for this good, and just finish. Yeah. B minus. That's the rallying cry. B minus. <laughs> you know, uh, as a writer, you're right. You can get spiraling in that perfection. Oh man, that's you know, rereading re through it. And um, there was a friend of mine that actually reached out and like, hey. I've been stuck on this and 
uh, you know, I, 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 fin- I got this far and then I got this really cool idea. I went back and now I'm rewriting things. And my advice was, you know, the same advice I got, just stop, quit re-editing and finish, you know, once you have the full book, then read through it. Because right now you're not even halfway through the book because you keep re-editing and you've spent how long? Two years, three years. Um, and you know, I've been there before. You know, you, you get stuck in that kind of self-editing because you feel like it has to be perfect because you've read all these other stories that in your mind are perfect, but you don't realize how many how many rounds of editing did it go through with professional editors or uh, you know writing groups and so forth before it got to that final perfect state that you believe. And then you go talk to that author. And they still like, yeah, it's not the best. I, I could still make some changes. You know, that was kind of the, the dawning moment where I'm like, wow, here, here's this New York Times bestselling author that I look up to. And yet they still think this book, which I think is beautiful and perfect. And wow, I can never write this amazing. And he still thinks it's not perfect. Huh? So, yeah. That that is brilliant insight. I th- everyone who's tried to write, they get stuck in that loop, and yeah. it, it's in my own way, in my own sphere. I've had to also adopt that that um, proverb of perfection is the enemy of great. Yeah, uh, I've got so many students who, if they would just turn in the work would get most or even full credit, but because it's not perfect in their eyes, they don't even turn it in, thus getting a zero. That yeah. is the equivalent of what most authors go through. They they can't get it exactly right, so they just don't release it. You know, parallel to this is or analogous to this is George Lucas in 1977 when he releases an, uh, Star Wars, before it was called A New Hope, uh, when he just released the Star Wars, right? Uh, he, according to him... 20 years later, it wasn't the exact original vision he had, but because of the constraints he was under, he had to innovate and indeed invent in order to complete the film, to even get it to the silver screen. And he created a saga. He created a saga over 40 years old now that has changed lives such that we have an author on the show who keeps asking if he's lost his Star Wars points. Yeah. So could you imagine if, you know, if, if he couldn't make it in his original vision, if he just never he just never released it, he never would have been the George Lucas we knew today uh, that we know today. There wouldn't have been industrial light and magic uh, because it was created during that time. Just the whole the, the whole ripple effect, you know, of not releasing the work into the wild. You need to I, I don't know if you have watched any episodes of Legends of Tomorrow. If not. I need to send you the George Lucas episode. In this episode, they go back because they travel through time and stop all the and prevent these time things from happening. There is an episode where they go back in time and mess things up, and George Lucas never makes Star Wars. What? And they go oh. back to the present, and so many things have changed. I like, believe they, it. Things don't exist. Like uh, they can't. You know, time travel never came to fruition. Um, all these random weird things never happened because Star Wars was never made. And they're like, crap, we got to go back and make, and make sure George Lucas creates Star Wars. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's amazing. Um, 
because if you think about it, I mean, just think about it. There are it's a, it's a spider web that just shoots out from this film, and you can do this with several other films, but this film in particular dramatically changed so much. Yes, we wouldn't have Industrial Light and Magic if we don't have that. The Avengers movies, all these superhero movies we've been seeing, would Jurassic be Park. horrible. Jurassic Park. I mean, a lot of this CG from these movies we see now wouldn't exist. It's because of them. Uh, you know, we'd still be probably seeing m- monster movies with claymation stop animation. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that or giant dudes in giant suits. Um, there's something wrong with that. <laughs> you know, I, I still have a soft place in my heart for those type of movies. But oh, sure. Yeah. It, a lot of the technology we have now, we wouldn't be saying, you know, and I do get I get Star Trek was there. Star Trek was before Star Wars. There was a lot of stuff that has happened because of Star Trek. But, you know, we wouldn't have the Trekkie versus Star Wars wars. We wouldn't have cool lightsabers, which I may have on my wall behind me uh, available for purchase and stuff like that. No one would be having you know, celebrating May the 4th, no one would be saying, hey, may the 4th be with you, and so on and so forth. Yeah. My son would not have his morning alarm clock go off of a metal band playing the Star Wars theme song. Nice. That sounds amazing. Six o'clock in the morning. It's awesome. Yeah, this see, in my life now. It, it, it's amazing how, I mean, if you sit down and look at it, how big of an influence and how far a stretch that that one film had. You know, it's owned by Disney for crying out loud now. Uh, you know, Disney is a giant mega monolith of a company. And they realize that this film series, this brand has such a huge power that they they spent the money to buy it um yes i know people out there kind of like wishy-washy on how they feel about that but that's okay you know you say star wars people know what they're talking about you say r2d2 they they're not like what are you talking about they know who you're talking about you know you, you say darth vader or vader and they're like oh yeah they know um and that's how much this is done so you know, i hope my hope is it the day will come when you know you're in a convention and you know Derek's at a convention sitting at a booth or just wandering around he's sitting on a panel and he sees someone in the audience dressed up as a character from his book that my friend would be an awesome day and I hope that happens um, here you know, here in three cheers yes uh, but that would be really cool I mean that would be really cool if one day space boots becomes that monumental and you know that's you know 10 20 years from now there's some podcasts and there's some dudes talking on that podcast like man remember that movie space boots or that book man that was amazing that changed my life the number of people who will cosplay holding a plate of pancakes will be obscene <laughs> it, it'll be douglas adams has his bath towel you've got <laughs> pancakes my friend <laughs> And he has a sign around his neck. Ask about the pancakes because this is the worst part of my day. <laughs> the best part. The last good thing. Oh, the, the, the last his, his best plate part will of my have day. A, 
His plate will have a sign that says the last good thing today. Yeah. It'll be perfect. Right. And so, okay. So let, no, let's bring this little stuffed pet skunk on their shoulder. Oh, there's a this little. just gets better and better. I swear you're just making this stuff up as we talk, but I'm down with it. I don't even care. I'm just so <laughs> excited. This is going to be great. So, so just to make sure we've got this right, your, your book Space Boots is available for pre-order on Amazon. Is that correct? Yeah. Kindle and version is available pre-order right now. Awesome. And Lone Wilderlands is available for print and play from the Game Crafter for an incredibly affordable and worthwhile five bucks. That's my and social distancing sale. Self distancing sale. Send a little um, love out into the world. And you had two other books that you mentioned earlier, House of Commons and I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the second one. Uh, Houses of Common and Meaner Sort. Houses of Common and Meaner Sort. And those are currently available for purchase as well? Yeah, paperback and Kindle, also from Amazon. Fantastic. Uh, Mr. Dalton, you have been a wonderful and jovial and entertaining, engaging guest. Thank you very much for spending your time with us today on Dungeon Crawlers. Thanks to you too, gentlemen. It was great. So just to remind everyone, Go buy your go pre-order your copy, or if you want it physical, go buy it the day it releases. Go, you know. But in the meantime, while you're waiting, you can go buy the first two books, so you're caught up. Which and are the last get a, two books. Yeah, uh, and get a copy of Lone Wilderlands if you are a game player enthusiast and want to pick up a new game, uh, and support Derek's. Uh, Support him so that he will write more fantastic books and maybe produce more content for that said game. So, uh, folks, with that said, we're out of here. And remember, folks, tell your story, whatever may come. And be epic. Don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always.